0: Before we kick off today, I would just like to invite you to check out another podcast for anyone wanting to grow their agency. It's called Freelance to Founder, and it features coaching calls with freelancers and founders who have hit roadblocks and need help to get to the next level. They'd cover all types of stuff, including charging what you're worth, becoming a CEO, bottlenecking in your business uh, making the best hires and a whole bunch more i really like the format of their show if you would like to check it out there are new episodes every thursday and you can visit freelance to founder that's tofounder.com or just search freelance to founder in your favorite podcast player all right let's get on with the show Hello and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 105. And today we're talking with Preston Lee from Milo.co. That's like internet famous. Preston, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh gosh. I'm really happy to be here. You don't need that kind of introduction for me.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Man, Milo's a big deal. Like I've I've had Millow, like, I don't know, I've always when I when I first started out, the I read something about like having your hundred list of a hundred like dream clients or partners or whatever, right? We we don't have clients because you know we need sure. hundreds of clients because it's a SaaS product, right? But I remember just going through like the popular web design and agency blogs, and Milo is just up there as one of the biggest ones there is. So you've been on on my list of people to talk to for ages, and I mean, we have been talking on the internet for like I don't know a couple a while. of while, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: a few years, yeah, and it it's just nice si- to. Finally, chat the right. more in person. Yeah,
0: right. It seems ridiculous that it's taken this long. Uh, I feel like all a lot of podcast episodes have been like this lately. Like I interviewed a friend uh, for the last episode, one hundred and four, and it's like I've known this guy for years. Why am I only just having him on the podcast? It's, <laughs> it's just the way it goes, I guess. Um, but for those listening, we are going to be talking all about uh, online portfolios. I think it's pretty common that agencies and freelancers have a portfolio of all the work they've done, but it ends up just kind of being a dumping ground of like, here's some stuff I've done. And we're going to be talking about how to make that actually convert, turn it into a selling machine. So it sounds like you're a bit of an expert on the topic, Preston.
1: Well, I don't know if I'm much of an expert, but <laughs> I've, I've given it a ton of thought. I've written a lot of articles. I've done a lot of podcast interviews talking about this very subject. And you're right. like The the problem is everybody has a portfolio, but but it feels like almost nobody does it uh, well. I, I don't want to say right because obviously right is subjective, right? But but there are definitely uh, some common mistakes that I've seen that if you just step back and think about it for a moment, it's pretty obvious you should or shouldn't be doing certain things with your portfolio. So yeah, I'm excited to dive in today. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'd just like to point out that I got the pronunciation of Milo right. We were
0: discussing <laughs> we were discussing pronunciation <laughs> offline, which I I already had it in. I played it in my head properly, which is pretty rare for me. Like, you know, seeing things in text, you, you know, screw it up. But um, I asked Preston what uh, some people tend to think it is. And Milo came up. And um, as an Australian, I kind of went nuts um, for the word Milo. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> So would other Australians listening right now. Um, I'd just like to recommend any Americans listening to this, you need to go and find yourself some Milo. That's M-I-L-O, which is a multi-chocolate drink that originated in Australia. I looked it up just before this in 19, 1934. And it is friggin' delicious, completely unhealthy um but but i'm (laughs) way better
1: than i mean we like in the states we have like nesquik and garbage like that no milo is way 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 better better.
0: oh absolutely so we have nesquik as well and i always liked uh milo more because and the the key is milo not all of it dissolves and it floats on the top and you eat it off with a spoon (laughs) (laughs) I was just telling Preston the story of uh, we went to, we did a hike in South America and uh, some Milo came out. It was the Inca Trail. And um, the Milo came out onto the table and all the Americans were like, what is this thing? And me and my wife, now wife were just going nuts like, oh my God, it's Milo. This is so good. All the Americans thought we were insane. And then all the Americans ate all our Milo by day two of four. So. <laughs> sounds about right yeah yeah it's delicious get on it there's the one takeaway from the episode we can call it off now no um
1: just kidding <laughs> that and that and um and tim tams aren't tim tams from australia as well yeah they are and yes, so. often
0: often in care packages sent by australian um people <laughs> to their like kids that's... in canada or u.s or whatever yeah that's
1: right yeah i had a brother who lived in australia for a few years and he brought home as many as he could in his luggage yeah absolutely <laughs> people are listening to this going i thought I I was supposed to get some agency <laughs> stuff, but. right? Yeah, no, we're just going to wrap up now. We've talked about all the important stuff. That's, yep. that's about it. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's let's
0: talk about portfolios. And actually, maybe just a little bit of a background about how you got into all of this. Like, are you still running an agency or freelance biz, or
1: not anymore? Uh, not anymore. So, I I did start as a freelancer, a freelance designer. Um, I I used my freelance business to put myself through the rest of college, um, the last couple of years of college, myself and my wife. Um, and in that time, I started blogging about my experience in finding clients and charging the right amounts. And I was asking questions and answering questions and learning about how to sell myself and all these details that you deal with as a freelancer or as a growing agency or even like a one or two person agency. Um, that's eventually what my business became was just there was a few of us. Uh, sort of running this little design agency. Eventually, uh, that fell to the wayside. I had a, a full-time job, and then I started growing milo on the side. And we were talking to freelancers, talking to agency builders, um, and just like identifying what they struggled with most and, and where the hiccups were in their business. And, and then it was our job to help them solve those problems. So that's kind of how that all came about.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, I imagine it would still It'd be hard to still be doing client work and running uh, like a site the size of Milo. Like at some point you have to let it go.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, to compensate for that, we, uh, we connect with tons of experts who have their own agencies or who are doing their own freelancing. And so we constantly have our finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in that world, you know? Um, And, and honestly, my team is still a little bit like running an agency. There are some aspects to it. We work with a lot of sponsors. And so those are similar to clients in a lot of ways where, we go back and forth we have the different members of the team who you know have different sponsors they're responsible for so there's there's a lot of similarities there but yeah maintaining both at the same time just mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't working out and yeah like totally
0: understandable but like i actually think people who deal with multiple agencies are in a in a better position to sort of like you've got your finger on the pulse, you're seeing the problems that lots of agencies are dealing with. So you can help them with that, see the results and, and then actually refer that information to other agencies. I think it's a great position to be in.
1: Yeah, it it was kind of a happy accident. Um, We started doing this with freelancers and we've also done it with agency builders and agency owners, but we needed help getting content for the blog. And so I started reaching out to people who I knew were doing cool things in the freelancing space. And that just sort of snowballed into this thing where, yeah, most of our content now comes from people who are in the trenches and doing it. And so it does provide this really cool, like multidimensional look at how to run an agency. You know, there's not one set way. To run an agency, and so it's it's cool to get all these perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into portfolios—the the meat of this episode.
0: So, like, what I guess what's the main difference you see? Like, what do successful portfolios do that the other ones don't?
1: Yeah, if I could, if I could sum up this whole what I hope this whole conversation can be about, the biggest thing that I see successful agencies successful agency for sorry portfolios doing. <laughs> i probably will say that more than once um, <laughs> <laughs> what i see them doing versus versus agencies who don't seem to have a clue of how it how it works is is the one the successful portfolios are shaped more like a sales tool more like almost like a sales funnel than than a showcase or a place to just, like you said at the top of the show, just dump your Mm -hmm. best work, a place to show off, a place to really highlight like what makes you feel good about yourself in terms of the skills that you have. That's what a bad portfolio looks like in my mind Mm. is just a place to show off it's all about you a good portfolio, one that actually gets you clients and gets you revenue and builds your agency is one that focuses on the client and the journey that they go on from the time they get to your site until they convert, whatever that is, contacting you, hiring you, whatever you've set that up. But you have to focus on that on that journey along the way.
0: I can see this being uh, applicable to other like types of industries as well, not just agencies, you know, like, for example, we do case studies with Content Snare. We try to tell exactly that, like the story that where they were before, and and then how they found Content Snare, and then how it helped them. Um, more like we probably could do a much better job of making it about the the customer. But yeah, like that's always been the idea for me is to try and make it less of a like here's something we did and here's why you know we're so great. Um, yeah. So
1: yeah, what? and it, and it's not like I'm I've invented uh, any you know brilliant new theories here but what what i've tried to do what i've realized is not often enough do agencies and freelancers take the things we know about landing pages and online conversion the things that you know startups do so well or focus so much on we fail to do a lot of times as an agency and so it's taking those elements like you said if if you have a saas company or or if or if there are saas companies you admire or tech companies you admire take elements from their landing pages and their sites that are focused on conversion and getting customers and see what you can apply from those to your own portfolio site. Love it.
0: So what in practice, what do you think, like, is there a, a, like a formula for this? Like, is there certain elements like that you think every portfolio item should have? Like, because, you know, obviously the, on the, the low end, we've got like on the very bottom end, it's just like, here's a bunch of pictures of websites we've made, right?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Um, so, but then, you know, like you could have a section about the client where it just says like who they are and how big they are and where they're based, right? So these, are, I'm just thinking about like what elements, like a base set of elements do you think these pages should have to, to sell more?
1: Yeah, that's the perfect question to be asking because um, my my theory is or or my recommendation is that every agency start with a minimum viable portfolio. Again, stealing, like I said, nothing in my brain is going to be 100% original here. Stealing again from the tech world, right? What's the minimum viable portfolio that I can create? that will show at least that I can generate some business. Um, and then you can obviously build on it from there. But there's, there's very like basic things that you want to be sure to include in your minimum viable portfolio. So for me, <clears throat> it's easier to identify maybe what not to include. For me, um, if, you have, if you have many, many pages, that's just an opportunity for people to get lost. So I guess mm-hmm. as a tangent to your question, like you identified what sections do you need? the unspoken thing behind what you just said is i actually believe fewer pages is better so instead of asking what pages do you need the right question you asked was what sections do you need so a one page portfolio can actually control that journey through you know yeah. from from the time they arrive on your site until they hire you can actually control that journey a lot more with one page or maybe two or three pages than you can with 20 pages that they can click all over where so so that it looks more like a funnel instead of a, a web. So in that,
0: I like this. Um, would in that case, are you showcasing multiple clients and projects on one page, or is it kind of just your best three projects um, in more detail?
1: Yeah, there's a tendency, this is especially true of you know web designers, graphic designers, illustrators, more visual uh, works but but i've seen it across the board uh, with agencies in all fields there's a tendency to to like <laughs> you've seen this the grid that oh, has yeah. just like maybe six across by who knows how many six or 10 down i mean just <laughs> i mean you're talking 20 30 40 50 60 projects on on a page that, that that you have to navigate through no instead like you say pick your best 3 to 5 projects and use them as a tool to convert the client Convince them to actually contact you instead yeah. of get lost in the, the grandeur of your work. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: And I can tell you when I uh, look through a portfolio like that, where there's like 30 things, my eye will always pick out the worst ones.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just just how I don't know if that's a normal human thing or it's how I work. But like you know, if I'm looking at Upwork freelancers or something, or like just design people, and they have a bunch of stuff, that there could be like five amazing projects, and then there'll be like two or three that I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> i right. you know, If you've worked for a client and they took over, you know, they nitpicked your design and ruined your design, don't don't put that up. I know I know another thing with uh, portfolio is that. Um, I was going to say um, clients changing their websites after you've gone and published them. (laughs) That's why we always use screenshots and and controlled our case studies, right? Like maybe with a link to the client somewhere, not saying like, we built this other site and here's a link to it because sometimes they completely destroy the site after you've uh,
1: gone and built it for them. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking web design specifically, like there are ways obviously around that you can create a secondary you know, like a subside of yours or something that, that looks like the original project. Cause yeah, you, Mm. anything that's not in your control, you want to take out of that customer, customer path. Um, yeah, from, again, it's all about getting them from the time they land on your site until they contact you. What does that journey and that story look like? Mm.
0: So what's, what's a basic anatomy of that story,
1: right? That journey. Um, for me, it's all about, it's, it's, what, what so many agencies tend to do is tell the story of we, we you know, we, hmm. we design websites, we design logos, we, whatever, develop content marketing plans, like <laughs> you, you name it. And it's all about like, we, here's what we do. Here's what we do for you. Instead, you can switch the copywriting. Emotional, compelling copywriting for me is one of those critical, you asked what's a, what's a mission critical thing for these portfolios. Uh, using emotional copywriting that explains what you'll do for them is actually way more important than explaining what you do as an agency. Yeah. Right. Okay. So,
0: cause I'm just trying to like visualize what this, like what a really good portfolio page looks like. Right. Um, sure. So if you had to break it down into like steps, for someone listening to this, who's like, I don't know how to write a good case study. Like, do you have any resources? You know, we don't even have to do it here. Just, just like, yeah. Cause for example, copywriting, you're going to write a landing page. If you've never written a landing page before, it's like, you know, there's all these different frameworks, like the attention, interest, desire, action, a right. framework, and like all these like frameworks for copywriting. Is that, is there something like that for portfolios? Just follow the same thing, follow the same principles as copy, like a landing page.
1: You know, you and I should just develop it and make it available for your <laughs> listeners. I don't know of one specifically for portfolios. It's a really great, uh, great idea, actually. And but but, you know. Given the fact that we don't have that right now, hmm. what you said finding finding copywriting structures that you can then steal and apply to your portfolio is a great way to go about it, I'd say yeah that's it's
0: fair enough. I mean, I'm kind of drawing parallels here to um, like case studies that we've done with um, content snare clients, right? And we have now a formula through my uh, copywriter. Sort of wrote me a bunch of questions, and I and I Googled a bunch of uh, other copywriting questions. Like uh, just, just I wanted to do an interview of my customers, right? Which we would turn into a video and then a case study. And you can like, there's a whole bunch of stuff there if you around if you just Google like uh, customer questions or like customer copywriting questions, customer feedback questions. Um, and I actually find. The, the set of questions we have now is really good at um, eliciting the right comments from our clients that can be used in, in videos and, and then later written case studies. And I don't know, maybe I just sort of run through a couple um, because this turns, this uh, it's just been so helpful for us. So a couple that I've got here, um, and I can put this in the show notes. Um, yeah, so they start with like what industry are you in, what's your primary job role? And then it comes down to like, so when it comes to like building a website or designing a logo, whatever it was, what was the biggest challenge, frustration or obstacle you ran into before, you know, you found us, Uh, you know, were there any additional problems you were looking to solve? Like what were your biggest problems and worries essentially? So you're getting that like pain uh, out of the customer Uh, and then, you know, have you, if you've done it before, like. And you weren't happy with the results. What did it cost you in terms of time, money, and frustration? Um, so those those three at the start were just amazing, and you get these like rants of like their previous results and like why they were looking for someone like you to come in and do it. Um, and then sort of switching to the afterwards, uh, like how you know what was how how has it impacted your long term goals? You know what were the best parts of it like, and then really digging into those as like a transformational journey. I guess Um, I'm trying to convert my like feature based SaaS questions here to agency stuff on the fly, so I'm a little bit like (laughs) struggling. But you know, I think it's working. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's the same thing, right? It's like, how were you struggling before? What were you worried about? Um, You know, why did you give us a go? And then like. What are the results been in like ten as much tangible uh, detail as possible like sometimes it 's hard right for them to go, "Oh, we saved our frustration like it 's like <laughs> that doesn 't mean a lot, but if they can say our conversion rate went up like thirty five percent like, you know that 's right. pretty strong
1: yeah and and uh, even you know even i wouldn 't discount even like the emotion of frustration and, oh, yeah. and how you could address that because so I'll, we can link to this in the show notes too, I'm sure. But um, I wrote an article for HoneyBook, which is just oh, a, yeah. a SaaS tool for for freelancers and agencies. But um, in, in the article, I, I built this table under the under this idea that so often we sell the wrong thing as an agency. So often we sell, particularly on our portfolios, we sell uh, you know web design. You, you're not actually selling web design. Yes, that's the deliverable. That's the final product you're going to give them. But what you're actually selling them, like you said, is a higher ROI or less frustration. So, so for example, in this table, you identify on the left maybe something that your client might be feeling. And, and you can get this from customer or client interviews like you did. You can get this just from talking to other companies that might be facing it or you can honestly just make a, a good guess and then adjust later when you do have clients that you can get this feedback from. Depends on kind of where you're at in your in your you know, in the process of building your agency. But, for example, if a client is feeling overwhelmed, you're not selling them a website. You're selling them relief or, or uh, extra time or a good night's rest. Like Those are all the things you're actually selling. One of my favorite uh, copywriting frameworks, marketing frameworks, really, is called Jobs to be Done, so oh, if yeah. you google jobs to be done it came out of Harvard Business School mm-hmm. and if you if you just google like jobs to be done your mind will be blown on how you can change the way you talk about your product or your or your services as an agency instead of talking about we design websites for xyz instead you again come back to these deeper whys or these deeper solutions to the real problems that your clients are facing the 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 classic example they use in jobs to be done is if a person walks into a hardware store to buy a drill a one-inch drill bit they Mm -hmm. don't actually need a one-inch drill bit they need a one-inch hole right and so you're actually selling them the hole not the drill bit yeah absolutely i think yeah the whole I can't remember what I was going to say, Janet,
0: but I had a really good point and it's gone. But
1: <laughs> Sorry, I talked too long.
0: No, 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 no. I'm just like struggling. I think my coffee's run out. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite things about uh, doing these morning podcasts is I'm allowed to have caffeine. Uh, I'm, I'm off <laughs> caffeine. And so now if I have like a 7.30 uh, a.m. podcast, I'm like, yeah, I'm allowed. It's like one of my days I'm allowed to have coffee um, <laughs> and maybe it's running out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should switch to Milo now. Oh, damn. That's just too sugary. <laughs> I'm like counting calories at the moment. Man. Yeah, no, um, that would not work. Yeah, that would not I, work. It's, uh, yeah, I really don't like counting calories. But, um, you know, lockdown got to me a bit in ways that I didn't want it to. <laughs> and
1: I'm with you there. I'm with you there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like what the, um, what else we can talk about that like really nail down in people's minds what these portfolio pages should look like and where to start.
1: Yeah, for me <clears throat> another thing that I see people do wrong all the time and here's what happens, unfortunately when you're ready to design your portfolio whether you're a brand new agency or whether you're whether you're redesigning yours years later is part of the issue is we what's the first thing we do? We search for other agencies and then we go and we copy whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like we pull out the best things from the from all the options that we find and then we just put in all our favorite things right and there can be some good in that but what happens is we end up unintentionally copying the things that aren't working because what we can't see when we're copying or or borrowing i should say Mm -hmm. is we can't see what's affecting you know the the actual conversion rates and the revenue for that particular agency and so a few things that i've seen a lot of people doing that in my experience actually lead to worse conversion rates would include um like making, I call them dead ends. So you've seen this on a portfolio where, again, we're back to that grid. If you have the grid, you click on an example. And, it, and worst case scenario, for me at least, it goes to an entirely different page. I'd rather it just open up in some sort of accordion or a pop-up or something on that same page. Mm. But it goes to a separate page. And then on that page, it has maybe a few more images and a brief description of the project and nothing else there's no call to action there's no link to contact you there's no form sure the navigation menu might be there but uh you know who knows if that'll get used or if they're on mobile if yeah. it looks right so so these dead ends uh can can really cut down your conversion rate because unfortunately people just are lazy on the internet and and so they need as much guidance, again, it's about, I sound like a broken record, but it's about that journey. How do you get someone from start to finish? And if you have dead ends along the way, you're going to lose people. Yeah. And, you know, you, you said something there
0: that like could easily be brushed aside that like people are lazy. People don't want to think. I can't emphasize how true that is now. Right. So true. It's, I I it's, uh, maybe the world of UX has, has caused this, uh, but <laughs> you know, cause one of the main tenants of UX is, uh, is a Steve Krug quote of don't make me think. Don't right? make me think. Yeah. Yeah. And that has become so big in every piece of software. Now, uh, like this, I'm, I know I'm speaking specific to software, but it, it, this, it applies to everything and people assume that everything they look at should be just really obvious what they need to do next. Um, you know, it's made UX crazy, right? Like everything's trying to make it as simple as possible. And then like people, you'll show people a video on how to use something. They'll close it and then complain that they don't know how to use it.
1: And, like <laughs> I'm guilty of that.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, even though I'm like deep in this world, uh, it's, it's still something I do, but I, I saw, I shared a post yesterday, um. It was basically someone saying, like, read the bloody manual. Like, I know everything's <laughs> supposed to be easy to use, but you're probably using all these tools and, and doing all these things that you have and you have no idea how what they're capable of. If you just took a little bit of time and read their help docs and their instructions, you might be like, oh, my God, it can do all this. <laughs> right. Like, for just one example recently, I was using WP Fusion, which is like an amazing um a product for, I guess, access control to uh, like learning management systems. So I use LearnDash, and WP Fusion does the the access control to it. And there was this one feature that I found by reading the manual <laughs> uh, that it was basically an auto login feature. So when it's right after someone buys my Zapier course, they get dumped right into the learning thing. It's like an auto payment and login thing that no one, no other systems are really capable of. And just this one thing, I was like, that makes my client's user experience so much better like people love it but i would never have assumed that was possible without reading the freaking manual
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know it's time consuming but it can pay off yeah but
0: anyway back to our actual point like having call to actions in um in portfolio items is massive. You know, I, I, I'm i glad you brought that up because I was thinking about it earlier and just kind of assumed, you know, it was in my mind
1: that, of course, you're going to have a call to action, but a lot don't. You're right. A lot right. don't. Right. I mean, and not even in those, not even in those separate, you know, dead-end pages that I'm recommending you get rid of entirely. You're, you're right. Even on the page itself, you know, if, if it was a one-page portfolio, I'd have, depending on how long the page is, three, four, five, six call-to-action buttons that say hire me or contact me or whatever you want it to say and they 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 glide down to the form at the bottom or they open up a pop-up form or something i wouldn't be afraid to put those in like i say six seven eight times um that i mean that is the action you want them to take that's why your yeah. portfolio exists it's not to show off your work it's to convert visitors to to actual clients yeah i am um, <laughs> I always have a little bit of resistance
0: to this like because it's the same there's a lot of parallels right like in a in a SaaS tour page or something it's like you know you're supposed to well some people will put the sign up button all the way down the tour page and I'm like oh people don't want to see that but I know that's what you you know I'm pretty sure it's proven that that's what you're supposed to do (laughs) Um, but it's the same thing right like after you know, Especially if you were doing a, more of a journey through multiple projects, it would make sense to have that call to action after each project. Because at some point, they're going to have seen enough and are ready to go, yeah, I want right. what they did for this
1: client. I want that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you can say we doubled sales for this client, I mean, that's the moment you want there to be an immediate yeah. available call to action so that, they, so that they can take action. You're right. Because that moment can be fleeting, right? They get yeah. distracted by something, they get a text, they, whatever. Um, and and they might never come back. And so it's it's your job in that moment to capture them as, as easily as possible. Yeah. And like, this actually just reminds me of what I was going to say before, I finally, finally
0: remembered after my complete mind blank, but it's like, if, if your client's reading something, you want them to go, Oh, that like, that's me, right? So it's, yeah, we increase yeah. sales for this client by 200%. And they're like the same industry I'm in uh, and like that, or they had the exact same problem or frustration that I did. Like that's what you want is when a client's reading the frustrations that your other client went through, they're like, Oh my God, that's exactly me. Uh, And then that's why that call to action has got to be right there. Cause it's like, now they're ready. They know you've, it's like you're speaking directly to them. Like that's the ultimate compliment I think for a copywriter.
1: Yes. Yes, Uh, absolutely. I mean, when you're, when I, when I say a journey, from visitor to client. This is their story. It's not your story that they're participating in. The better your copywriting, the better your sales ability, the better this journey and funnel that, we're, that we've been talking about this episode, the more they will feel like they're going on their own journey from you know whatever the pain point is that led them to find you in the first place. Hopefully, the journey you take them on is we can solve this pain point for you and they're picturing themselves now with not having to deal with whatever the problem is anymore, they're picturing yeah. themselves in that perfect scenario at the end, thanks to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um,
0: just a quick note on call to actions: like, what do you think? Like, should it just be a contact form? Like, what's the what are the best CTAs you see in in portfolios?
1: The highest conversion that I've seen uh, in all the portfolios that we've reviewed and tested. The highest conversion I've seen is is a very, very basic contact form. So, you know, there's this tendency with some agencies to put up barriers, to filter out low-level clients. There's a lot of discussion and debate on, you know, do I ask what their potential budget is? How many questions do I ask? Do I ask where they're located? Like, there's all these questions you could throw in a form. Yes. I'm personally, and, and the research that I've seen, I, but I'm personally a fan of low barrier contact forms, name, email address, a phone number if you want it, and then a quick, you know, you could leave that, have them leave a quick message of what they're looking for, or you could honestly just have them leave that information and then tell them that you'll call them back within 48 hours or something. And so the lower, the fewer the barriers to having them actually fill out that form, the better.
0: I like that. And, and it's actually, a really good flow on from the episode I just recorded with Martin uh, Huntbatch yesterday. He talks all about having uh, like a content fortress around your agency, like using your content as what filters out the. the oh, I love that. Yeah. And I can see this being a piece of that, right? Like, you know, you're in a way your portfolio could do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially That's
0: true when- as go. You as,
1: you, as you think through those case studies and again, that journey, yeah, anyone who doesn't relate to that, who, who feels like, oh, my company doesn't match that, that doesn't look like me, that doesn't feel like what we need, mm. they'll auto filter out by the time you get to the contact form. It's a really good point. Yeah. And
0: one thing, I, this could be contentious, I'd like to get your opinion on this, but you know, a filtering on that is like, here's a project and here's the price range it was in. You know, so these, uh, like Martin's really big on transparent pricing and, you know, depending on where you're at and what kind of, you know, philosophies you have, it might actually be like, yeah, you know, you'd have to talk to the client to get their okay with like saying how much they paid. (laughs) Right.
1: That's true. (laughs) I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of transparent, transparent pricing as well. Mm. You know, people are more likely to move ahead if they, the fewer questions they have, the more likely they are to move forward. Mm. We could even just say like projects like this are typically in the range of
0: X to Y, you know? Yeah. As part of the portfolio as like a filter because if they're like, oh, I really, really like that. And then it's like, wait, that's like five times what I've got to spend.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think I think you can show that too by highlighting the company. You can subtly show like what kinds of companies you mm. tend to work with, you know, showing that they're more established that they sort of implying that they might have bigger budgets and that kind of thing. You know, you can tell if you're, if you're a single business owner or maybe one or two people, you can tell if you land on a site that caters to 50 person, hundred person, 500 person companies, you, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that you're not, you don't fit in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's actually funny because a lot of SaaS companies try to uh, sure. and agencies as well always show their biggest clients. And I'm like trying so hard to get um, a couple of really big clients permission to use their logos right now. Um, like worldwide brands that pretty much everyone knows. And I just can't get them because their legal systems are just crazy. But like, then I go to someone else's website and they've got like these, these logos of just like Microsoft and Airbnb and stuff. Cause like one random Intern signed up for their product one day, um, <laughs> right. and, but it, to me, it's it almost like creates distance. Um, you know, it's just like oh, I think like, so too, yeah. Like, so you know, if you don't want to only work with enterprise companies, showing all your enterprise logos is probably not the best idea. Just a random thought.
1: Yeah, or or show a nice mix, right? You don't want to necessarily rule those rule those people out, but if they're not your bread and butter, if you're if you really cater more to these mid level. Yeah, it it's it's all about speaking again telling the story that they can feel like they can be a part of. You don't want them to feel intimidated by your case studies or by the other companies that you've worked with mm. necessarily um unless of course you intentionally want to weed them out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Preston,
0: this has been awesome. Is there anything you think we need to sort of deliver a couple of like final drive home points or anything before we uh before we wrap this up? <laughs>
1: um yes, I think you know, I think Above all, you know, I think maybe the one of the biggest mistakes I see agencies make is taking way too long on this. This comes back to the minimum viable idea. Just get something out. Mm. Set up Google Analytics or whatever you want to set up on it, watch what happens, track it, adjust. It's not it's this isn't a final project that you seal mm. in whatever. And and you can't ever touch it again. No, this is an online portfolio that you can adjust as you go. So just get something out there that feels pretty good and then see how people react to it. And then adjust Mm -hmm. as you go and and adjust for conversion and watch those conversion rates go up and up and up and up and up. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And of course, it's like a really important page, right? If you go to an agency, one of the first things you want to see is what work they've done before. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, pretty quickly, you're going to sh- see in your analytics that how much of an important page it is, and then you're going to pay more attention to it. So it is something that you should be working on ASAP.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so many people wait way too long because they think it has to be this 20 page thing with in-depth case studies. Mm-hmm. Don't let us saying case study scare you. A case study can be a, parag- a well-written paragraph, a couple of nice images and a call to action. It doesn't have to be pages and pages of videos and animations and oh. uh, you know all, all the detail oh, no. yeah
0: like a lot of our case studies are a third of the size of a blog post you know and, right. and half of it are just quotes from the customer I can tell you like if you're worried about getting a good case study done find a list of questions I'll, pu- I'll put some questions up at it'll be at agencyhighway.com slash um, 105 you can literally just jump on a 10 minute call with clients ask some questions and they will feed you the words you need for for a case study, <laughs> That's right. right? That's right. It's, it's insane. Like, yeah, it's some of the most powerful, uh, what, like, such an easy and powerful way to get good good case studies. If you want to go down that road, I just don't don't do it as a barrier. Don't see it as a barrier. Like, you can still get something up there and describe the work you've done with previous clients and what the frustrations and outcome was. Um, make sure you get permission though.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you can do that for the copywriting across your entire portfolio the more you can talk like your clients the more like you said earlier the more new clients will relate to what you're saying yeah, absolutely
0: yeah preston where can people go to find out a bit more about what you're doing
1: uh yeah the best place is just millo.co it's m-i-l-l-o dot c-o and there you can download some of our free resources. You can read a bunch of our articles. We talk about this kind of thing all the time. So we'd love to love to see you there. You can also connect with our Facebook group from there, where we have tons of freelancers and agency builders all in this group sort of masterminding together and just figuring out what's working and what's not. So that's a fun group to be a part of. Um, And we'd love to have you. Absolutely. And I can absolutely
0: recommend, Milo, because you do guys you guys do have a lot of awesome free resources and, and the community. Yep, absolutely head over there. Again, this will all be linked up at agencyhighway.com. Preston, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, ContentSnare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.